And then wherever you are, take your copy of God's Word, take it out, turn it on, however you do that, and go to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2. My message for today is simply, come aboard the membership. I shared that with one of my pastor friends, and he just started a big old belly laugh. He thought, are you serious? I said, yeah, that's the title. He said, well, okay. You you see, this summer, our family is going to uh, do one of our first. We call ourselves the Purvis Pack. That's what our text thread says, the Purvis Pack. And this summer, the Purvis Pack is going on a cruise, all of us together. And that's something we've most of us have never done. So it's going to be a, a fun time. In fact, I, I heard our daughter Anaya talking to her grandmother, Mimi, my mom, yesterday. And apparently my mom said, well, what are you going to do on the cruise? And, and she said, I don't know. I've never been on one. But here's what I have found out after a little research. Did you know there are theaters and like Broadway shows on cruise ships? Did, did you know there are not only pools, there are basically water parks on cruise ships? I mean, there are gyms, there are spas, there's restaurants, there are cafes. I mean, inevitably, it's like you're just enjoying life the way you want it in the middle of a sea on a big old boat. In fact, I got so excited about that, I thought I'd dress today like I was already on a cruise, just chilling, just taking it easy. We're talking about the church today, and you know, some have said that the church could be called a gospel ship. In fact, when I thought about that, I began to think about a song I knew existed. I didn't realize how old it was, but when I looked for the lyrics, it was written in the 1920s. Listen to what it says. I'm going to take a trip in that old gospel ship. I'm going far beyond the sky. I'm going to shout and sing till heaven rings when I bid this world goodbye gospel ship. Is that where the church is? Maybe. But what kind of ship are we? Are we a cruise ship where really you come to a a central place and the desire is that you're entertained, that you get to do whatever you want and, and things are just always wonderful and you enjoy life to the fullest at, at your church? Is it more personal than that even? Is it, is it a luxury yacht? I mean, is that what church should be? Is it all about me? I mean, the way I want it, exactly how I want to live out my faith. For some, I think the church resembles more a freighter or a cargo ship. You know, one of those big boats that just carry stuff. And, and so that's the way we think about this. We come to the big box, and a lot of people squeeze into the box, and uh, maybe we're just moving from journey to journey in life, but we're not sure really what's happening. Is that the church? For a lot of people, I've heard them refer to the church as a battleship, and at first that sounds good. Yes, we're waging war. There's spiritual war. We battle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual powers. But if you're not careful, if that's what the church is, then then everything is just a fight. And some of you grew up in the church like that. It's just who and what you're against as the church. And you're always fighting somebody out there. I don't think any of those are a good representation of the gospel ship. I, I, I think as the church, we're supposed to be more like an aircraft carrier. You, you've seen those. We watch Top Gun, right? We know what an aircraft carrier is. It's that launching pad. It's where the ships come in because they carry the airplanes that then go out. We launch those fighter jets. Yes, they're in battle, but they're making a difference. And and shouldn't that be what the church should be? That we're launching people, that we're a, a sending place. Here's what I know. Regardless of their stated mission, most churches today have more in common with the Titanic than with any of these other examples. 
Because somewhere along the way, most have had a fatal collision with reality and they're sinking. Maybe not an iceberg, but something has disrupted the unity and and gotten them off mission. And, And now they find themselves sinking. And so, hundreds of churches every week in the U.S. close their doors. And before this, they're inevitably looking for answers to what may be causing the problem. But they never address the problem. So you see churches scrambling in the last minutes of life, and it looks like they're rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. They're not making a difference. That's why it's important for us to occasionally just pause and as a church... Remind ourselves why we're here. What is this all about? What are are we supposed to be doing? What is the church supposed to be? And, And so really what I'd like you to do right now is in your mind's eye, just get an idea of what you think the ideal church is. What does it look like? You ever thought about that? What do you expect from the church? What do you think is fair or okay for the church to expect from you? I've said for a lot of years that most of life's frustrations stem from unmet expectations that arise because of poor, unclear communication. And there's no place that that's more evident than the church. Part of that's because of the unhealthy way that for a long time people joined the churches. My, My dad, my hero, until he died, my pastor, and... Man, he did so much right, but even under his leadership, for a lot of time, the, the way you joined the church was at the end of the service, there was an invitational hymn, everybody would stand and sing, first, second, and fourth stanza, and during that invitational hymn, people would walk down the aisle, some may get saved, but generally people came to join the church, and they may say something like this, hi, I'm Paul, and I'm here to join the church. Now, if it was a godly pastor like my dad, generally they would pause and say, good to meet you, Paul. Tell me about your relationship with Jesus. But often, pastors never got to that. People were never asked about their relationship with Christ. It all just became about joining an organization. So what would happen? The pastor would say, okay. They would sit there on the front row. The song would end. Then they would say, hey, church family, I want you to meet Paul. He's here today to join the church. All in favor, say amen. Amen. Of course, there's no opposition. Welcome, Paul, into the church family. And that's the way it took place. And it was so silly that a seminary professor of mine wrote a little ditty about it. He said, just as I am, without one plea, I'm here to sign Form 103. I understand that lunch is free. I come. (laughs) And, And so joining a church all of a sudden became like easier than joining the Lions Club or the Rotary Club. And so you got yourself into this organization and you would start coming and attending the church and then you'd go, wait a second, I don't like that. Hey, I don't like the way they do that. I don't think I agree with that because you never dealt with expectations. And so years ago, almost 20 years ago in this church, we began to do membership classes where you could understand what are the expectations of a member of this church and and what should you expect from the church that you belong to. Occasionally, on days like today, we want to give you an opportunity to kind of skip over that membership class and to hear the meat of that class in a setting like this. So today... I'm going to walk through what it means to be a part of our church. I'm going to try to clearly communicate what we stand for and what you can expect from us. And I want to make it crystal clear what we expect from the members of this church. When we come to the conclusion of our time together, you'll have a chance to become a member of this church if you've not already done so. So this is a big deal. This is an important time. Because we're talking about the body of Christ. It's what Jesus calls his bride. Now, I know there are some people that say, I don't want to be a part of a church. There's just a bunch of hypocrites there. Now, if somebody ever says that to me, you know what I say? You're right. You're absolutely right. But we've got room for one more. Come on, join us. I mean, we, we are a bunch of hypocrites. I mean, we're not a museum for the saints. We're, we're a hospital for sinners like me. And, and, and so I recognize that. Occasionally I'll hear, hear people say, well, I love Jesus. I just don't 
I don't like the church. I can't stand the church. And that's always a clue that they've not really gotten in the scripture. They don't, they don't understand who Jesus is and what the church is because the church is the bride of Christ. That would be like saying, Paul, I really love you, man. I, I think you're great. You're an awesome pastor. You're a good friend, but I can't stand Kimberly. What do you think I'm going to do? Well, when that person picks himself off the ground, we're going to continue the conversation in an unhealthy way. I mean, that's absurd. And how absurd is it for people to say, well, I love Jesus. I just don't like the church. You're, you're missing out. And so I want to clarify that today, and I'll do that after we pray. Let's bow our heads. Father, oh, God, this is, <laughs> this is your church. We're here because of you, Jesus, your bride. We don't want to dishonor your bride. Jesus, we're here because we believe what you said and who you are and what you've done. And Holy Spirit, oh, you have met us here. So many of us are here because we were convicted in our sinfulness and drawn to you and changed. And now, Holy Spirit, every time we gather, your manifest presence fills this place as we worship and pray and Hear the word of the Lord. So God, just continue to meet us today, giving us what we need that we don't have, teaching us new things that we've not yet learned. Oh God, making us new, transforming us, Father. We want to be more like you, Jesus. We want to be sensitive to your work in our lives, Holy Spirit. So, Lord, let it begin with me. Let the words in my mouth and even the meditation in my heart be pleasing to you, God. You know my weakness today. But in my weakness, you are strong, just as your church is strong. So, Lord, speak in the name of Jesus and build your church for your glory. Amen first time we see the church in Scripture is in the book of Acts. You remember the context. Jesus has given the Great Commission. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, and you will go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. And, and then Jesus ascends to heaven, and everybody's freaked out. <laughs> and they're looking and like, what are we going to do? And so angels appear and say, stop it, goobers. Don't be freaked out. This same Jesus who's ascended to heaven will return. Um, but until then, do what he said to do. And so they pull aside. They don't begin to do what he said to do. They pull aside and begin to worship because that's all they knew to do. So 120 of them. Now just remember that number. It's going to come back later. 120 of them begin to worship together, studying God's word and praying. The Holy Spirit of God fell upon them. And as a result of the Holy Spirit of God, listen, what happens in Acts chapter 2 is the nations began to be reached. We could spend a whole message talking about how the people thought they were drunken with wine, but instead they were filled with the Spirit and they began to speak in tongues in the languages of the people who were present. The purpose of that is clear. That people from around the world, all the nations who had gathered in Jerusalem for Pentecost, could hear the message of Jesus Christ. I want you to understand something. The mission of the church has not changed since that day, the day of Pentecost. You know what the, the mission is? To take the gospel to the nations. To get it out. Remember, we're a launching pad. We're an aircraft carrier. Well, Peter stands up and he begins to preach. Crazy old Peter. And what does he preach about? Church, what does he preach about? Jesus. I knew somebody would get it. When you're asked a question and you're not sure of the answer and you're in church, always just say Jesus. There's a good chance it's going to be right. He preached about Jesus. It was a gospel-centered message. He told the purpose of Jesus' coming. He, called what, he talked about what Jesus accomplished. And then he called people to respond to Jesus. Since the very first Christian message ever preached, people have been called to respond. That's why when you attend our church, there's always going to be a call to respond. I can't ever forget. I'd just been here a few months, and 
a young man, I, I would like to call him a theobro. I mean, a guy who was studying a lot of theology and thought he had all the answers. He came up to me and he said, I just want you to know we're leaving a church. I said, okay, why are you leaving? He said, we don't like that every week you call people to response and, and you give a gospel invitation. I said, well, that's a good reason to leave because that's not changing. Because I got it from the very first message that was ever preached in the Christian church. So what happened when they were called to respond? Look in Acts 2.41. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That's amazing. The first thing that happened when they understood who Jesus was and what that meant and how it changed their lives they walk through the waters of believer's baptism. That's one of the many reasons I know that for the follower of Jesus, believer's baptism is the first step of obedience. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you've not walked through the, the waters of believer's baptism, then you're walking in disobedience. And 3,000 were added to the church that day. We're just reminded that God's church, when it's healthy, is always growing. Now, notice what it says next, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All, say all. Remember that. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I want you just to think about that uh, for a moment. This is the birth of the church. Hey, have you seen birth pictures? I feel like at least once a week when I'm scrolling through Facebook, I see a birth picture. I mean, somebody's baby or somebody's grandbaby or somebody's great-grandbaby, and you see that mom in the hospital, kind of they found time to put some makeup on real quick, and they're holding that naked baby cuddled in blankets all close to their body, and everybody just wants to go, ooh, Ah, oh, I mean, just a, a beautiful picture. I've never seen an ugly baby. I'll just stop there. But I've never seen an ugly baby. And I want you to think about this picture of the church. What a, a beautiful picture is. This is the birth. And what do we see? Well, we see teaching and fellowship. So they're studying God's Word, and they're, they're just hanging out together, spending time together. We see communion and prayer, the, the very first time we see the church begin to gather, they were obedient to Jesus, and, and they did what Jesus told them to do and remember his death till he comes again, so they had communion. We see unity. That's why I, I told you to remember that word all, because they were all together. They were obeying what Jesus had prayed in John 17, that they and the Father would be one. There were unity and generosity. There was worship. And then there was joy. The early church was characterized by joy. I wonder why so many churches are closing their doors today, but, but when you go to visit many, you begin to see why. They're not joyful. They're more like a, a funeral service than they are a church celebrating the Lord Jesus Christ. They, they had growth and evangelism. They regularly saw more people added. And they were regularly sharing the faith in the Lord Jesus. This is the earliest picture of the church. So if I were you, a Christ follower, and I'm asking what should the church look like, this is where I start. This is what you should expect from the church. But we, Mission Hill, we're a local representation of the body of Christ. We're kind of one individual branch of his church. How do we look different? Well, there are some phrases that we use. You, you've heard them. We've said the church has always only had one mission. We want to do whatever it takes, wherever we are, to shine with the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. That's great. Kind of catchy. Fits our name, Mission Hill. But that's really generic, too. I mean, that's every church what we should be. We, we say we want to do things like 
we love God passionately and, and we love others intentionally. And, and that, you can't argue with that. I mean, that, that comes from uh, the, the great commandment of Jesus where he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And the great commission of, of Jesus which says, go ye therefore into all the world and, and preach the gospel, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I will be with you always. Man, a, a, a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission is always going to result in a great church. But that, that's kind of general still. That could be every, every church. I want to encourage you, your leadership is, is in about a 14-month process, and we're about five months in. We're, we're working with a national leader, just really helping us dig deep and discover who we are as a church that is unique. What is it about us and where God's placed Mission Hill and the people that he's assembled, assembled here that, that makes us different? And, and how can we formulate that into a, a statement that just rallies us all around the purpose? I, I believe we should all do that individually. I, I've done that. I've shared mine with you. I feel like God's given that to me over the last couple years. For the rest of my life, I just want to leverage my personal brokenness to inspire a deep belief in the God of the second chance. So if you hang out with me very much, you're, you're going to see that I'm not afraid to talk about the fact that I'm a cracked pot. I'm a broken vessel. Man, I've got many flaws and failures. But I'm so grateful for God's grace. He's a God who takes broken things and, and pieces and back together. That's what he's done in my life. And I believe that's what he's doing as we look around our church and, and we see the stories of who God is assembling. I believe he's going to give us a, a clear statement like that for our church, how we go forward and, and demonstrate what it is he wants us to do. But in the meantime, we know there's some basic things that are straight out of Scripture. We can get those just from Acts chapter 2. And we can boil those down to four things we want every member to do. If you do these four things, then you're being an effective member of our church. If you don't do these four things, you're not being an effective member of our church. Let me just give them to you, then we'll talk about them briefly. We want you to worship. We want you to grow. We want you to serve. And we want you to go. <laughs> I like that we're ending with that last one. We want you to get out of here. Remember? The greatest thing about a church is not our seeding capacity, it's our sending capacity. We're a launching pad. We want to launch you out in the world, and I'm going to explain why that's so important in a moment. You could say these are pieces to the puzzle. You could say this is how you find your fit at Mission Hill, by worshiping, growing, serving, and going. Let's dig into those. First of all, worship. Now, I want you to understand something. For the Christ follower, all of life should be expressing worship to God. Do you understand that? Worship is not a place we go. Worship is a lifestyle that we exude. And our scriptural mandate from that is 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory, the pleasure, the worship, the praise of God. So everything should be about worship. That means I, I worship him personally in my individual life, and I worship him corporately when I come together in a group setting like this. So what is worship? It's showing my love, my devotion, that which I think is worth it, that which I value. The problem is, because of our sinful nature, we value things that we shouldn't and begin to worship the wrong things. Because of our sin and separation from God, we worship things that are never going to satisfy, like the acceptance of others and money and status and ourselves and the passions of this world. And when we worship those things, we're never truly satisfied. God's the only one that can meet our need. So to truly understand what worship is, we better understand what we believe about God. So one of the things we teach when we gather in a more intense time for people to become a part of our church is what are the essentials we believe about spiritual things? Because of our heritage, we simply uh, affirm a document that's been created. It's called the Baptist Faith and Message. We have a Baptist heritage. Let me give you some of the highlights. First of all, about God. We believe that God is the creator. He's the ruler of the universe. He's ex eternally existed in three personalities, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We refer to this as the Trinity. 
We believe in Jesus Christ. He's the Son of God. He's co-equal with the Father. He lived a sinless human life. He offered himself as the perfect sacrifice for the sins of all people by dying on a cross. And he arose three days later from the grave to demonstrate the power over sin and death. He ascended into heaven, but he will return again. We believe in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is co-equal with the Father and the Son. He's present in the world to make humans aware of our need for Jesus. But he also lives in every Christian from the moment of our salvation. He gives us power for living, understanding for spiritual truth, and guidance to do what is right. We believe in the importance of the Scriptures, the Bible. The Bible is God's Word. It was written by human authors under the supernatural guidance of the Holy Spirit. It's the supreme source of truth. It's free from error or mistake, and it can be trusted. We believe what the Bible says about us, human beings. We're made in the image of God to be like Him in character. We're God's supreme creation, the crown of His creation. However, though we have potential for tremendous good, we're all separated from God because of our sinfulness. This separates us from God and becomes a source of problems in our life, which is why we believe in salvation. And salvation is a need that every human being has. We believe God makes salvation available through Jesus Christ. It's called salvation because apart from the help of Jesus, we are doomed to punishment forever in a place called hell. God saves us from that when we look to Jesus. Jesus paid the price for our punishment. He was punished on our behalf. That's why he died on the cross. When we look and trust what Jesus did on the cross, we then are justified. It is just as if we've never sinned. It's just as if we've always obeyed. And he forgives us, and we receive his grace, and he promises us eternal life. This is what we believe about eternal life. Once we trust Jesus, we have that forever. It's called eternal security. That's one of the core doctrines of our faith. We believe every believer is secure in that salvation because there was nothing you could do to earn or deserve your salvation. No matter how good you are, no matter how many times you went to church, no matter what your family went to, no matter whether or not you were baptized, you can't earn or deserve it, so you can't do something to lose it. You're eternally secure. We believe that everybody spends forever somewhere. If you are saved and you have that relationship with God through Jesus, you spend forever in heaven. We call that eternal life. If you're not saved, according to the scriptures, you spend forever in hell. The Bible calls that eternal death. Those are what we call essentials of the faith. You're not going to be tested on those, but I want you to understand something. In this church, in those areas of essential beliefs... We have to have unity. You're not going to be a member of this church and say, well, I think maybe there's other ways to be saved than Jesus. Okay, you can have that opinion. You just can't have that opinion and be a member of this church. That's an essential. Or you might say, hey, I'm, I'm cool with God the Father and God the Son, but I don't know about this God the Spirit. I don't think I believe in that. Great, that's fine. You can believe what you want to believe. You can't be a member of this church and, 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 and think that way, though, because these are essentials. But there's a lot of things in our faith that are not essentials. Things like uh, what you believe about how that salvation happens. It's called soteriology. We've talked a lot about this through the book of Romans. People, people differ on that. People differ on the use of charismatic gifting in the body of Christ. People differ on the role of women in the body of Christ. All of these are important things that you should understand. You should try to know what the Bible says, but they're non-essentials. In those non-essentials, we believe there's some liberty. We have some flexibility. It's just not that important. Then there are things that are really non-essential, like what you wear to church and what style of music you prefer and that's just non-essential. But in all things, we believe we have to show charity. In our church, we're just not going to get into fights about silly stuff. The Christ follower never has the liberty to be unkind. That's what's going to guide us. And so as you think about these things, you begin to realize that these beliefs inform our worship. They inform how we follow after Christ, how we worship Him. Like I said, we worship Him both personally and corporately. How do we do that? Well, we, we worship Him with musical worship, praise singing. We worship through prayer, just as we were led in prayer several times already today. We worship in communion, 
Just like Jesus commanded and the early church modeled, now on the first Sunday of every month in the morning, we, we gather for communion and worship, remembering the death of Christ. We worship through baptism. We do that most every service, but we're doing that in a big way. For example, this afternoon at the beach, we worship through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. As we look at the New Testament, that seemed to be a big deal. So when you gather in this church to worship, you can expect that the preacher's going to open the Bible and, and you're going to hear from the Bible. You're not just going to hear some funny antidotes of, of what they think about how things are going in the world just to make you smile. We, we worship through giving. We're never going to be shy about God's command and call for us to be sacrificial and generous because that's scriptural. And then we worship by calling for a response. And here's what you can know in this church. Our worship's always going to be gospel-centered it's going to be Christocentric. We preach Jesus. So, that leads me to something interesting you need to know. You can't really worship if you don't know Jesus. Um, you can come and be a part of this service, we call it. This, this experience that takes place at a point in time. But you only worship a God that you have a relationship with. So maybe you're here today, just like several in our previous service, and it strikes you, you don't think you've ever done that. There's never been a point in your life where you've completely surrendered to the God of the universe. So let me just remind you how this works. The Bible says that every one of us are sinners. Every one of us. Say every one of us. That's all of us. Everybody's ever been born, we're sinners. That means we're separated from God because He is holy and that sin, if it's left undealt with, is going to have to be punished. And the punishment for sin is what I mentioned a moment ago, eternal death. Simple. That's the most simple way I can say that. But God doesn't want you to experience that. He doesn't want you to take that punishment. So Jesus took it on your behalf. That's what Romans 5.8 says. God demonstrated his love in that while you, we, were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so what do we do if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God did raise him from the dead, we will be saved. What are we saved from? We're saved from eternal death, that punishment. What are we saved to? We're saved to life with Christ. And so the most important thing you'll ever hear us talk about in this church is what I just shared with you. And that's the most important thing we'll say today. So it'd be foolish to, to say that without giving you an opportunity to respond to it. So would you do me a favor? Would you bow your head right now? This is not the end of our service, but it may be the beginning of life change, of new life for somebody here today. If you've never begun that relationship with Christ, maybe you would just pray this prayer. You don't need my words, but sometimes it's helpful to have a guide. Maybe you just say, dear Jesus, just you and him, dear Jesus, I know I need you. I know I'm a sinner. I know I need to be saved. I believe you died in my place. I believe you're alive today. So I'm ready to receive your forgiveness. I'm ready to follow you. Here I am. I'm yours. Come into my life. And take over. Now tell him thank you. I'd ask you just to humble me for another moment and keep your eyes closed and your head bowed. But if you just prayed that prayer with me, there were three or four in the first service that indicated they did. I want to give you the opportunity to let me know that. If you just prayed that prayer and began that relationship with Christ with our heads bowed, would you just lift your hand right where you're sitting just so I can welcome you to God's family? If you just did that, that's the most important thing that you could ever do. Welcome to God's family, sir. Others of you that would say that. Welcome to God's family, sir. Others of you, that's the most important thing you could ever do. Welcome to God's family. So, Father, use this time to continue to build your church 
and to change lives just as you've done today. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now, I mentioned that baptism is a big part of worship for us. It's also an expectation of our members. So let me just say that clearly since that's part of our time together today. Um, If you're going to be a member of our church, you have to experience believer's baptism. And, And that means that you're baptized by immersion going under the water after you began your relationship with Jesus Christ. So some people have gone through an infant baptism, and and, and that's a nice thing because that's a parent saying we're dedicating this child to the Lord, but that infant doesn't know what they're doing. We believe that Scripture teaches that when you go under the water, you're representing the death of Jesus, uh, just like when he died on the cross. When you come out of that water, you're representing the new life that you have in Christ. And so if you've never experienced believer's baptism by immersion after you began that relationship with Christ. I want to invite you to do that. You can do that here any Sunday, but you can do that this afternoon by meeting me at Fort DeSoto Beach. We're going to gather there. It's going to be a great time of worship on the beach. We're going to have a cookout, and then we're going to celebrate with those who've come for believer's baptism. It's our first act of obedience and commitment, and Jesus modeled it. Why would we not follow his example? So that's the biggest part of what we do. That shouldn't surprise you because it's the biggest gathering we have, worship. If you're going to be a part of this church, we expect you to faithfully be involved in worship, personally and corporately. Secondly is grow. Say grow. Second piece of the puzzle, 1 Peter 2 says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow in your salvation. We believe Christ followers grow as they study God's word together. They begin to understand his truth. That's important. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is God-breathed, is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We want you to have what you need to live the Christian life. And according to scripture, that happens as you get into God's word. But something strikes us. It strikes us that while I like you to feed back, I wish you would say amen or cheer me on sometimes, that kind of fuels me. However, this is never going to be the setting uh, for Joanne to raise her hand and say, hey, Pastor Paul, before you go on, could I ask you a quick question? I mean, this just isn't the setting for that. But we do have a setting for that. We call it community groups. And we want every one of you to be involved in some kind of community group. Whether that's one that meets on a Sunday or whether that's some of our many that meet during the week, whether that's one that's your age or or whether that's one that's an affinity group, we want you to connect with people where you can dig deeper and study God's Word. Why? Because we believe God's Word is sufficient. We believe God's given you everything you need pertaining to life and godliness and all of these struggles that you as a follower of Christ have, they can be answered by digging into God's Word. But sometimes we need somebody other than ourselves to help us get into there. I want you to understand how much we value God's Word here. We believe it's inspired by God. It's breathed by the Spirit of God. We believe it is inerrant. That means it doesn't contain falsehood. It's true. And we believe it never changes. I read again in the Bible this week, it's still true. The flowers may wither and fade, but the Word of God stands forever. We believe that you need to get into God's Word and let God's Word get into you. You need to be a disciple, a student, a pupil, studying to show yourself an approved workman of the things given to you by God. At our church, that's a place for encouragement, accountability as you grow. We want you to be involved in a community group. That's an expectation we have of our members. Worship, grow. The next word is serve. Say serve. In Romans 12, we talked about this. We talk about it often in our church. Let me just read a little bit of this passage. For each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Then he goes through and he lists the different gifts. What is he saying? Hey, church... We are the body of Christ, and just like your body has different parts of the body that function in different ways, you too are a big body. You all look different, 
But you have different roles. And if you're not doing your role in the body, if you're not serving, then the body is not functioning healthy. We're nearing the end of our time, so I might as well tell you. I've been under the weather the last few days. Nothing contagious. I have an infection in my skin that's infecting my body. It's called me to feel really sick even today. What happens when part of your body is infected, when it's not functioning well? It affects everything. And so in my case, I feel a little nauseous. I'm hot and sweaty. I mean, it is no fun. That's kind of disgusting. Why am I telling you that? Because it's disgusting when God has assembled a a mosaic of beautiful pieces to his puzzle, pieces and parts to his body, but we're not doing what he created us to do. We're not functioning well. We're just sitting and soaking it in. I am so sick and tired of hearing that. I have people come up and say, hey, Pastor Paul, I love the church, but we just kind kind of hang out for a while. We just need to soak it in. And most of the time, I'm nice. So I smile, nod, great, great. But you know what I'm thinking? You're going to stink. Because that's what happens when you sit and soak. It's just like my washing machine. Sometimes it doesn't work. We figured out for now what we do when it doesn't work. We unplug it. We push a reset button and it starts. But sometimes when it doesn't work, we don't know it. And the stuff has sat in the washer. It's soaked in the water. And by the time we find out, it is sour. It's stinky. We got to wash it again. And the same thing happens in the church. People come in and they say, I love Jesus. I just need to sit and soak it in a while. Well, you're getting stinky. You need to serve. You need to get out there and make a difference. It's been said for years in churches, 20% of the people, the same 20% of the people do 80% of the stuff. It shouldn't be that way. It's probably not even true. I think it's more like 15% of the people do 85% of the work. And it definitely shouldn't be that way. You've got a lot to give. You can give of your time. You can give of your talents, those things that are just who you are. Some of you are gifted at construction, or you're gifted in yard work, or or you're gifted in painting, and, and all these different things. You could just give back to the church, and then you give of your spiritual gifts. We encourage you to get involved. Because here's the deal. We'll never be the church God wants us to be if you're depending on the people like me to do the work. We're not the hired guns to do the work of Christianity in this community. You are. According to Ephesians 4, my job is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. In our church, every member is supposed to be a minister. The pastors, we're just supposed to be administers. That's why when our church is functioning properly, it's pastor-led, it's staff-directed, it's committee or uh, team-driven, it's deacon-served, and then it's congregationally affirmed because we're in this together. And if you're not pulling your weight, it's affecting all of us. And there's so much you could do. Man, maybe you just haven't understood that. Let me give you that benefit of the doubt. You haven't understood that there's everything uh, from, from things that require no understanding of church or theology to things that require a little deeper knowledge. You could be a part of our safety team. You could be a part of our greeter, our hospitality, or first impression team. You could just go love on children in our preschool or in our, our children's ministry. You could invest in teenagers, many of them who's, who are coming from broken homes and don't have stability. Or you could teach another group of adults and share what you've learned from being poured into for all these years. At the end of this service, I'm going to give you an opportunity to go to the back of this room and and just sign up for different ways that you could serve in the Lord's church here. Serve, worship, grow, serve, and then the last one, go. (laughs) I mean, that really should be our message every week. After the down note of that last song, you should just, we should be able just to look at you and not give you any announcements. Just say, go! Get out! You're sent. That's the way it's supposed to be. Remember, we're an aircraft carrier, a launching pad. 
You've already got your mission. They came from the words of Jesus. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When we look in the book of Acts, the church started as a movement, but it's been degraded to a place. And some of you think of the church as this building or this place. And that's not what the church is. It's a movement. And movement gathers around the mission. And, and Jesus made our mission clear. Make no mistake, God doesn't have a mission for the church. He formed the church to accomplish his mission. And a healthy member of our church is on mission whether you're across the street or around the world. I grew up hearing some people pray, some people give, some people go. That's hogwash. The biblical answer is everybody prays, everybody gives something, and everybody goes somewhere. There's no excuse in this church. In 30 years, I've never seen a church that gives you more opportunities to go and be on mission on your community did you know every week on Fridays, you could go serve homeless either on the streets or at our location? You can make a difference just sitting and encouraging people, like I did a couple weeks ago, just encouraging a Vietnam vet who's now homeless. I mean, think of how common that is. And you can make a difference in their lives. Every week in our church, you could come encourage people from around the world without ever having a passport, without ever leaving our country. You could, you could talk to people from dozens of nations and just give them a snack or just love on them in practical ways through our Esau program. Every week in our church, you, you, could, you could help pack bags of food for middle school children who because we give that food, it's the only way their family's going to have food for our weekend. I mean, that's missions. That's going without ever leaving our city. And that's not the only ways, but you can also leave our city. Just this summer, we're going to Puerto Rico, and we need some of you to go to Puerto Rico with us still. We've got two trips to Ecuador. We've got a trip to the Amazon. All that's just this summer, going on mission, making a difference for every kind of person. Some of those are full of adventure. Some of those more are staying in hotels. One's living on a boat for a week. And we're trying to give you opportunities to show you that you can make a difference. You can go. So how are you doing? Are you worshiping? Are you growing? Are you serving? Are you going? That's what we expect from you. And you can expect from us that we're not going to get sidetracked on the politics of election year. We're not going to get sidetracked on the differences of the color of our skin. That we're not going to get sidetracked for the latest issue on social media. But that we're going to do our very best to stay on mission, helping us to worship, grow, serve, and go. If people come to our membership class at the end of this booklet, they're told to read the Mission Hill membership commitment. This is how it begins. It says, Having received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, having been scripturally baptized and being in agreement with the statements and structure of Mission Hill, I now feel led by the Holy Spirit to unite with Mission Hill Church family. In doing so, I commit myself to God and to other church family members to do the following. What are the following? I will protect the unity of my church by acting in love toward others, by refusing to gossip, by following my leadership. I will share the responsibility in my church by praying for its health and growth, by inviting unchurched people to attend, by warmly welcoming those who visit. I will serve the ministry of my church by discovering my gifts and talents, by using those gifts and talents to serve others, by developing a servant's heart. And I will serve the testimony of my church by attending services and activities faithfully, by living a Christ-like and godly life, and by supporting my church financially. I want to encourage you to do something today. If what you heard aligns with you, and you've been visiting this church family, take the plunge. 
move from consumer to contributor. Move to the committed column so we know we can count on you, so that you can make a difference as we try to impact our society for the glory of God. At the end of our time together, I'm going to ask you to give in this card. On the back of this card are three questions. They're three simple questions. If you're not already a member of our church, I'd ask you to answer these. The first one is, have you committed your life to Jesus Christ and trusting Him alone for salvation? If, if you're going to be a member of our church, the answer to that has to be yes. And, and so you would need to tell us when that was. It may be today in this service. Just let us know. But give us a when and where. Some of you are saying, Pastor, I don't know when and where. That was a long time ago. Me too. But here's what I would say. I, I was a child, seven years old, and it was in Hartsville, South Carolina. Okay? The next thing is, have you been baptized by immersion after you committed your life to Christ? Remember, we've discovered that baptism is something that a believer in Christ does. So if you've not done that, after you began your relationship with Christ, maybe you were baptized as an infant and you've always counted that, or, or maybe you were baptized as a child but you didn't understand what you were doing, then, then you need to be scripturally baptized. But if you do have that right, just tell us. And then finally, I agree with and I will abide by the Mission Hill Church membership commitment statement. If you check those boxes, I tell you what, we're going to look through those. We'll get back in touch with you, but it would be our expectation that you'd become a faithful member of our church. Now, there's a lot of you here that are like me. You're already members. You're all in. You may need to do like couples need to do at every wedding I've done for the last 30 years. The wedding comes to the end. The bride and groom have left. All the party's gone. And I stand up and talk for just about two more minutes to the people that are there. And I say, some of you are lucky enough to be sitting by your spouse. If you are, reach over right now and grab their ring and whisper in their ear, Honey, if I had it to do over, I would do it all over again today. And then I say, if you don't whisper that quietly right now, you're going to have a much louder conversation this afternoon at home. Some of you are a part of this church family, and it would encourage us as a church staff, maybe if you just take that membership card and you say, I'm already here, but I want you to know I'm re-upping. I'm all in, Pastor. We're behind you in this mission of this church, all right? So over the next few minutes, I'm going to ask you to, to take time and fill out that card. We're going to worship together, and then I'm going to come back and close out the service. Let me pray. Would you stand with me as we pray? So, Father, we've talked about your church. I know there's nothing that you'd rather us talk about than your church. So, God, I pray that we've, we've honored you in that. Jesus, we've just, we kept you at the center. We know, none, we know all of this is meaningless without you. So, Lord, just be honored as we think about our place in your church and all that that means. God, I pray that even as some are choosing right now a big step to unite with your church family, God, I, I pray that you just give clarity and like minds of couples and families. And, Lord, you'd use this for your honor and your glory. And in the midst of it all, Jesus, we worship you. We give you praise. We give you honor. Even now. I worship your majesty.